issues you bring away this morning, brother. Thank you. Evan, what was the reticular something or other? Reticular activity. I like that. It sounds so much better than ADD. <laughs> I'm having a moment of reticular acclivity this morning. You understand, uh, 30 years ago when Ann and I were here, um, there were a lot of things that are very similar to the way they are now and a lot of things that are different. Uh, in those days, I sat over there with the youth and I recognize the side that I'm sitting on today is not the youth side anymore. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> uh, but it's been a privilege. I've gotten to meet uh, lots of old friends and see folks that I've known 30 years ago. And uh, uh, without exception, every one of them has looked identical to how I remember them. <laughs> and if you could say the same thing, that would be good. <laughs> Just agree to say that. Uh, Ann and I are a bit uh, overwhelmed by looking around because there are lots of memories. We were here from 1979 to 1986. It was my first full-time position as a youth pastor coming here. We'd been in youth ministry for five years, part-time, but this was the first full-time position. We came here with an infant son, and another child was born while we were here. Um, here was one of the places where I was schooled in ministry by the pastor's I was privileged to work under. And uh, I remember those days with great privilege. Uh, we had excellent leadership. Um, I learned a lot from Pastor uh, Dick Temple, who hired me, uh, Claire Ford, who was an interim, and John Aldrich, who was a senior pastor uh, when we left. And so I got to work under different men. We served alongside some good friends on staff here. And I think back to how I was then and what the church was then. And, and I come in today, 30-some years later, and there are all sorts of crazy feelings going through me. Uh, the church has changed, and, and it hasn't. I have changed, and in some ways I haven't. And uh, there's this mix of emotions. And uh, I was surprised a little bit. The longer we were in the worship center here this morning, the more uh, thoughts came rushing back. I just want to say thank you. You've been part of a legacy in our lives, a church that uh, helped us in many, many ways. It's a privilege to have served here 30-some years ago. After we left Brush Prairie in uh, 1986, we went to Auburn, Washington, uh, to Grace Community Church, and I served there as their youth pastor for 20 years. And I looked pretty much like this when I got done. So you can imagine how odd that was, you know? I remember the day when a couple of the high school girls came up, one on each side of me, and they snuggled into me, and they had their arms around me, and they looked up at me, and they said, Gene, you're like our papa. I said, your, your papa? You mean like your dad? No, no, like our grandpa. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I thought I was going to do youth ministry for the rest of my life. I, I figured I'd be the guy installing wheelchair ramps into the youth room for me, and uh, and about uh, six years ago, the Lord redirected us, and uh, I now am the director of pastoral care for Cadence International, a mission organization that works with military people. And uh, that came about after years of traveling while also being a youth pastor, of traveling overseas and ministering to missionaries. And when the Lord decided to take us out of youth ministry, it was a natural fit to flow into 
to missions. And so Ann and I are privileged to travel for Cadence, uh, 30-some countries that we've been in or I've been in, and uh, we spend a lot of time on the road. So it's a privilege to be back here with you, uh, and it's a privilege to be invited to speak. Pastor Bob has never met me, nor have I met him, so I'm really a pig in the poke for him. It's a risk for him to invite us to speak. He asked uh, me to come and speak at the conclusion of this sermon series, um, and he gave me the passage that was fitting into the flow of the sermon series. And uh, sometimes as a guest speaker, that's a bummer, because you're assigned a passage you don't have any passion for. But this one happens to be something that I am passionate about, and I find a real privilege to talk about, because one of my roles in ministry is helping missionaries fight fair. Missionaries and pastors and churches often have a reputation, albeit uh, sometimes a small one, of having nasty fights. And uh, I was surprised when I went to pastoral care for missions to realize that um, uh, I really liked conflict resolution. I actually enjoyed that part of the process. So this morning, you'll hear me use some illustrations. You'll hear me talk a bit about this history. And I think for you to know my context in this uh, passage of Scripture would be helpful before we begin. I also, in my role as a pastor to missionaries and a consultant for churches, I also have coached a number of men through their sabbaticals. And so I'm going to have a number of uh, sabbatical thoughts at the end of uh, the message this morning. Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. That's our passage for the morning, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You notice in the middle of that, Paul, as a pastor to the Philippians, says, um, my heart would be joyed, filled with joy to know that you are following these things. And one of the questions as your pastor returns from sabbatical is, will this church, Brush Parade Baptist, be a place where your pastor says, I'm filled with great joy to be with you? And I hope so. I hope so. The context of Philippians, when this uh, letter was written, the Apostle Paul had founded the church, and uh, he had been their pastor for a period of time, and then he's now the pastor in absence because... Paul has moved on on his missionary journeys, and he is currently in prison writing this letter. The Philippian church, uh, the church in Philippi, is a church under uh, pressure and under stress. 
They live in a community where they're a minority. There aren't a bunch of other Christians. The church in Philippi is relatively small. And the the culture of of their town, uh, two things were huge. One, emperor worship. The people in Philippi worshipped the emperor. And that was sort of the civic religion. So you needed to worship the emperor to be a good citizen. And then the second thing they did is they uh, had sort of a form of ancestor Uh, dead ancestor worship or honor where they would do things to honor uh, their ancestors not exactly like karma to come back but something similar and the philippian christians did not participate in those things and because of that they were really being looked at by their community the community suspected them of being bad citizens the community looked at them and wondered if these were traitors really to the civic cause, and especially to the emperor. And because they were under such scrutiny, there was a great chance that anything that they did, any misstep behaviorally, that they would receive great criticism for it, and it would bring the reputation in the name of Jesus Christ into disrepute. And that's the context for which uh, Paul is writing, encouraging them to behave well not only because it's the right thing to do, but because the reputation of Christ is at stake. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any any tenderness and compassion, when he starts out with the word if, he's saying since you have these things. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in you. Because of the work of the Spirit within you. Because you have tenderness and compassion that you've received from the Lord. Because of these things, be like-minded. Be like-minded. When I was um, in pastoral ministry, I didn't understand this verse very well. Now, you, you understand, I learned to fight in this church. Uh, it was an eye-opener. I was this young Bible school student, and, and I can't remember ever attending a business meeting before here. I grew up in church, but, you know, I was a kid, and I was oblivious. So I went to Multnomah, and I didn't attend any meetings, uh, business meetings when I was a student at Multnomah. That'd be stupid, you know. You got no grade or credit for it. But uh, when I came on staff here at, at Brush Prairie, um, uh, I came to my first business meeting, and I have no idea what we were fighting about in those days, But the first business meeting, all these people that I loved uh, and respected, I enjoyed them. And uh, we brought up this one thing, and and one person started shouting, and another person. And this temperature went up in the room, and people turned bright red. I was pretty surprised. (laughs) And it didn't take me long, though, to, to pick sides. Pretty soon I'm turning bright red and saying things that I should never have said. And and sometimes they were stupid because I was, you know, like 23 years old. I didn't know anything, you know. But I sort of enjoyed getting in on the fight at the time. And, And that was sort of a starting point. Now, I went from this Baptist church to another Baptist church. And, um, you know, somebody said Baptists are like cats. They're always fighting, but you can never catch them at it. And... 
And so, you know, I went from this Baptist church to another Baptist church, and I, I watched this spirit of tension come up in church business meetings. And usually this passage would be pulled out by the pastor when he wanted to make the church go his direction. So he would say, you know, being like-minded, being interpreted, my mind. And then people would sort of feel like they've been manipulated by Scripture. And uh, that didn't help anybody's discussion on events. And uh, the pastor would sometimes leave the church because they were a stiff-necked, obstinate group who wouldn't follow because God was obviously leading. Now you understand, if, if you have any kind of a context like that in your mind, as I read this passage this morning, it will be a little bit hard for you to hear the truth. Because being like-minded, when I speak from a pastor's position, being like-minded doesn't mean you must follow the pastor or the elders. Now, you can make a case for following pastors and elders from other passages of Scripture. I'm not going to argue that one, but I'm going to say that's not the point of this passage. Because what we're to be like-minded about is very specific. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if the work of God in your heart has encouraged you as he's drawn you from darkness to light, if you've been comforted from his love, if in your messiness and in your brokenness, the comfort and love of Jesus has overwhelmed you and worked his healing work in you, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is truly residing inside of you, if you have experienced the tenderness and compassion of the Lord, then then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Number one, it starts with allowing the inner working of God in our lives. It starts with allowing the inner working of God in our lives. If you have encouragement from the Spirit, if you have the work of God in you, I believe in the days when I was a fighter, I'm not much of a fighter anymore. Not about the kind of stuff we often fight about that's inappropriate. But what happened is there was a lot of gene in the fight. I had an opinion. I always have an opinion. I have clarity about everything. Even things I don't know about, I have clarity you can understand that's not easy on my wife. <laughs> and, and what happens is if you're a person who thinks you have clarity and you think you really understand the truth and you come in with that sense that I really have the truth, I know it, I know it all, we'd never say it that way. I know it, I understand it, I see clearly. What often happens in the way we express things is we usurp the place of God we usurp the role of the Holy Spirit, and we try to do God's work for him. Who convicts people of sin? Holy Spirit or us. Who convicts people of what's right and wrong? The Holy Spirit or us. Some of us have readily said, me. I'm glad that I, I see clearly your sin, and I will tell you about it. And the truth is, 
The work of God must begin in us. And the softness of God's work needs to begin in us. Because we're united with Christ, our Father loves us like he loves Jesus. And when that inner working of the Lord is truly embraced, we feel the value of unity above everything else. Because I love you more than issues. I was here when the first Oasis event started. I can't tell you how delighted I am to know that something that uh, was started uh, a long time ago, and you know, I was there for the first one, is still going on. Uh, it gives me great joy. And uh, when I came to Brush Prairie Baptist Church in 1979, Prairie High School was just being finished. And we knew we had this first year where the, the shape of the school was still open. And, you know, we just had this fence between us and the church. And I thought, man, if we could get a toe in the door, how could we do that? And we came up with this idea of having lunch for kids. So we invited the kids, you know, we were going to invite the kids over for lunch. But I recognized, now remember, I'm, I'm a rookie. I know nothing. And the worst thing I know about is food. How to fix it, prepare it, serve it. I'm clueless. And... And I knew that we would have to get a bunch of people involved in the church. Well, you know Brush Prairie Baptist Church is the oldest Baptist church in the state of Washington. And it had the oldest Baptist people in the state of Washington in it. <laughs> and, and so if you're going to have a body that serves the school, it's going to be a body of all ages. And, um, and I started sharing the vision. The pastor joined and he said, yeah, that's a great thing to try. And I went to, you know, married families, people who had kids, and they, they were for it, but they all work, so they weren't going to be here to serve. And I recognized the people that were going to have to serve this were all 70 and above. Now, you understand the conservative nature of the church 30 years ago is that we weren't really into Christian rock. Not much at all. And uh, we were going to do a teaser concert. We were going to invite kids over, and we were going to have this band do a teaser concert, invite them back for an evangelistic concert at night. And I shared that with the Golden Heirs. And uh, there were some questions. (laughs) And they jumped on board. Marvelously. I mean, it was beautiful. And, um, And I was smart enough. You know, I wasn't smart about a lot of things, but I was smart enough to tell them what was coming and to bring earplugs. So we came for the very first lunch. We didn't know if 10 kids would show up or 100 kids or 1,000 kids. So we had food for 1,000. And we had the teaser band, a Christian band out of Portland came over and was, you know, and they're warming up and so forth. And uh, mostly Golden Airs are setting out mounds of sandwiches and mounds of chips and mounds of food um, stacked around the, the perimeter of the gym. And uh, the band's warming up. And you know how a Christian rock band made up of fairly non-professional musicians might sound. (laughs) And uh, finally, you know, I got the band to stop. And I said, okay, let's all gather for prayer. Kids are going to be arriving soon. And I I raised my voice. said, could we gather for prayer? And there are several ladies just working like crazy. They haven't looked up, turned around. And finally, one of the ladies goes, they have earplugs in. (laughs) So I went over and tapped them all on the shoulder. And what I experienced, what I experienced in this church 30 years ago was this kind of a mindset, this kind of a heart. That they didn't like the music, 
and they really weren't thrilled about having kids mess up the church. You know, because the kids left a tra trail of garbage from Prairie High School to here and back, you know. And, and we had a lot of cleanup. Broad, Bob Bradway, you know, he was just, he was trying to keep the church clean. And I had to stop him from sweeping while everybody was in the building. And it's like, we'll get it later, Bob. It's okay. And their hearts were so into um, serving kids. And they demonstrated this passage of Scripture. We know what Jesus has done for us. And we want him to do it for kids. We don't, we don't really prefer the music you've chosen. And we really don't like the mess. And there's a cost to it. There's a lot of man hours. There's a lot of money. We're not thrilled about having to do all that. But we want the end result. And my friends, it, um, it was a good first year. And uh, we had some great years after that. And I understand it's, uh, it's only gotten better. Number one, it begins with an inner working of God. A belief that God can protect his own stuff. That I don't have to be sovereign, God is. And if the church is going a direction I, I don't really agree with, maybe the Holy Spirit's big enough to speak to the people who are in charge. If I voice my opinion, I can certainly voice my opinion. But if the church is moving in a direction I'm not sure I agree with, do I believe God's big enough? Yeah, he changed my direction. I was going the wrong direction. <laughs> And he changed me. You were going the wrong direction, and he changed you. You're here today because of the work of God in your life. Do we bring the faith that redeemed us individually, do we bring that kind of faith into the congregation, into the church, into the church business meeting or whatever, into the church decisions, believing that if some big decision the church is going to face, believing that even if I don't think that's a good idea, that God's big enough to make it happen the right way. I believe that's an inner working thing. I believe that comes as my confidence in God grows and as I receive the love and the comfort and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The second part of that goes on to say, be like-minded. Be like-minded. About what? My friends, being like-minded really isn't about carpet colors or whether the choir wears robes or not. It's not about whether there should be drums and guitars in the sanctuary or an organ. And, and I don't know any of your issues. These are generic examples. I've spoken on the subject before. So if I hit one of your pet peeves, I haven't been preloaded, okay? It, it's, it's not about colors and lights and, and those kinds of things. I was part of a church that went through a name change. I went to a church that was Bible Baptist Church and went to Grace Community Church. And you can imagine, that has some energy in the discussion. And uh, we were Baptists, and we were not going to be Baptists by name and all of that. My friends, that's not what this passage is talking about. We don't pull out, be like-minded about the name of your church or the color of your carpet. That's not what this passage is addressing. It's addressing 
the work of Christ in us. Be like-minded about the work of Christ in us. Be like-minded about what you want to see God do in each other. Be like-minded about the love that you want to express. Be like-minded about encouragement and love and comfort. Be like-minded that no matter what, no matter where we come in, in disagreement, nothing will make us disagree about a choir robe enough that I do not want the work of God in you to go forward. That I do not desire your blessing. I don't, I, that would inhibit me from wanting your blessing by God. One of my failings uh, for many, many years in ministry, and I, I think about it with shame, is that I took sides. And as we had church discussions about different things, I would take sides and I would decide they're on my team or they're not on my team. They're the insiders, they're not. They're, and, and it seems stupid to say that. And I'm ashamed of it. And yet I did it so much, I can't deny it. And, and I sort of got to thinking of people as other. Now, these are the core people. They're kind of other because they disagree with us. And my friends, that was sinful by every standard of Scripture. And, and what I didn't understand is that Satan used that wedge to drive a barrier between what I could do as a pastor or a shepherd in their life and that person. And he drove a wedge between the fellowship that the Holy Spirit in them and the Holy Spirit in me desired to have. It begins with the work of God in us. We have to be people who have really truly experienced and are walking in the Spirit where we receive that love and comfort and encouragement talked about in verse 1. And then as it works out, being like-minded, having the same love, having a common purpose and direction, that common purpose and direction is the outworking of I will give up any right I have to help you move forward with Jesus. I will give up any preference I have in order to help you walk with Jesus. If you're more blessed by an organ and I'm more blessed by a guitar, I'll bless your organ. <laughs> Some of the time. You understand, it's really a heart thing. Now, let me, let me give you a couple of finishing points, a summarization. Um, as I teach this to missionaries and as I teach this to uh, pastors, and as I use it for conflict resolution, there are three ways I've found of saying things that add maybe a practical element to this. Number one, I am for you. I am for you. I want you to experience more of Jesus. I want you to know his love. I want you to be blessed. I am for you. I am on your side as a friend and as a person. Now, I can be for somebody and disagree with a position. I'm part of leadership of a mission, and um, we were sitting at a table one day, and three guys said, I think we should do this thing. Excuse me. And I said, I, I, I don't think so. And they said, yeah, I, I, we really think we should do this thing. And I thought, it's going to be harsh, and it's going to turn out badly. 
I was only one voice amongst four, but I really had a strong sense of it. Well, first of all, I believed that the Holy Spirit was big enough to redeem the situation even if they made a bad choice. And number two, um, I, I couldn't fight him any more than that, so I just needed to listen and go along. But I did voice my objection, and it did go badly. Sorry, probably didn't need to put that in, did I? Scratch that. If, if you don't do the internet, do these go out on the internet? Sorry, Dave Schroeder, president. Um, but each of those guys are deep friends of mine. I love them. And, and when it did go south and it came to, to sort of going, well, that didn't turn out so well, it wasn't an I told you so or I gotcha or something like that. It was really, I, I love those guys. I'm dearly committed to them. And I'm for them. And I can have room in my life for all of us making mistakes because I make so many. Number two. Number one is to be for each other no matter what. Number two, I will treat you in accordance with your position in Christ. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. We can disagree, can't we? The Holy Spirit, uh, you are treated by, by me with respect and honor, not necessarily because you're just so wonderful naturally, but because you have the image and likeness of God. You are a bearer of the image of God, and you are loved by God, and the Holy Spirit is at work. And I can trust that the Holy Spirit in you is going to do a work. And thirdly, I want to look at your life more deeply uh, to hear what's really going on in you. To look at your life more deeply and to know what's going on in you. Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People, he uses an illustration that I've been really gripped by for 20 years. Um, Stephen Covey was riding a New York City subway and uh, it was a quiet business group headed into work. When all of a sudden, onto the subway came a dad and a bunch of unruly kids. And the kids are pushing and shoving, and they're yelling, and they're throwing things. And the dad's just sitting there oblivious. And the, the tension in the subway car starts to grow a bit. And uh, people are looking with disgust and frustration. And they're shooting dirty looks at the dad. And uh, finally, Stephen Covey, who's sitting next to the dad kind of does the noble thing and speaks for the car. <laughs> and he says, sir, do you think you could control your kids? And the man looks up. He says, oh, I'm sorry. We just came from the hospital where their mother died. And I just don't know what to do. And as the car heard his answer, their, uh, he calls it a paradigm shift, you know. Their attitude has a shift to a place of understanding. He understands why that behavior is there. My friends, in us as Christians, often we see the behavior and we don't know what's going on underneath. And we treat people based on behavior that may be inappropriate behavior <laughs> at the moment. But we don't look beyond and we don't care more deeply. Uh, may I encourage you to do that?
if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love for one another, being one in spirit and purpose. Do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider one another better than yourself. You thought I was done, didn't you? There was one more page. The, uh, the last page, uh, that, that's the end of the sermon. If this was youth ministry, I'd say any questions, comments, we don't have time for that. One of the other things I got tasked with, and I'm glad I did, was to, to tell you a little bit about sabbaticals. And I'd like to give you uh, six ideas uh, to help you as your pastor returns from sabbatical tomorrow, okay? Complete shifting gears has nothing to do with the message. So those of you who are done, you can be done and turn off right now. I do a lot of coaching of men uh, who take sabbaticals, and uh, rarely do I get to talk to their church. Usually I just get to talk to the guys taking sabbaticals. But today I get to talk to you, a congregation that will welcome your pastor back from sabbatical tomorrow. Uh, Here's six suggestions I'd like to give you. Number one, don't everyone email him at once. Or phone him. Uh, Or expect he'll call you. Uh, There are people who wait for their pastor to come back, and they've been waiting for months and months and months, okay? And finally he's back, and it's like, okay, he's in the office. I'm calling him first thing on Monday. You can undo three months of rest and refreshment in a week. Don't do it. Number two, he may come back a bit conflicted about his own priorities. There will be a ton of office and administrative tasks that he will have to do, and he will be very anxious to reconnect with you as people. And so he's going to have tension. Recognize his tension and be gracious with him. Be careful not to tell him how he should handle it. Yes, you should do lunch with him. Number three, bless him with balanced stories. I did, a, uh, I did a good job preparing my youth and my church for my first sabbatical. I came back from my sabbatical, and they had done just fine without me. They kept telling me how well they did without me. It's, you need to find a way to say, Pastor, we missed you, but we did well without you. God was enough for us. Number four, uh, expect him to come back different. There's been a work of God likely that's gone on in his life. Don't, uh, don't look for him to be identical to the way he left. Number five, understand for him, reporting on sabbatical is hard. If you say too much about rest, everybody thinks you're a slacker. You haven't done enough work on your sabbatical. And if you only talk about work and all the studies you did and the courses you take, uh, people sometimes will honor you, but it doesn't give uh, ample honor to God when it says, be still and know that I'm God. And so he'll bounce back and forth. And some of you who really like your pastor working hard, he'll be tempted to tell you only half the story. And uh, if you could just be gracious about that, that would be good. And then um, number six, bless him by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know when there are a lot of words spoken 
whether it's in a pulpit or a con for conversation, um, there's wheat and chaff. Lord, I pray this morning that you would separate the wheat from the chaff in this message and let the seeds that you want to sprout and grow settle in our souls and help us to hear it come from you. Oh, Lord, we do love you. And we recognize all those things in verse 1 are true for us, and we're grateful. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.